It is a Friday morning, and that means it's time to visit with Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. As always, we are brought to you by Henderson and Watercutty, protecting your rights, defending your freedom. That's what they say. And they're available 24-7, even during the holidays. Their number, 314-645-4400, 314-645-4400. Check them out online. It's the best place to get them, and that is their Website, stlcriminaldefense.com. Full criminal defense firm dedicated to helping individuals fight criminal charges in Missouri and Illinois, state, federal, municipal courts. If you have, well, traffic violations, misdemeanors, property crimes, probation violations, whatever the case may be, they can help you out. stlcriminaldefense.com and their website is wonderful. It's very easy to navigate if you have any issues. Ben Fredrickson, uh, happy holidays to you, and good morning. How are things going? Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'm doing well, man. Uh, things are good, and uh, just getting ready for a busy, busy Christmas sports weekend. Bragging rights game. Got family coming into town to check it out, and you know, it's a fun uh, a fun kind of uh, holiday tradition for, for a lot of folks in the area. The Blues are playing well. The Cardinals are, are uh, making at least one move. We'll see if there are more to come. It's a busy time. Yeah, I, I love the fact that uh, we're on the eve of the, the Bragging Rights game, which will be tomorrow at noon from the Enterprise Center. And I, I don't like the fact the game is at noon. I always liked it at night. I miss Lou Henson. I miss Norm Stewart. I love the Bragging Rights game. This is this is always fun. So let's break it down a little bit. What are your thoughts on both Illinois and Mizzou coming into this contest? I think Illinois has shown it's a it should be a better team this season. It had a the big win against uh, against Michigan. It has had you know it's had some some. I think Illinois has more talent right now, Dan, and and I think Missouri has searched a little bit more. It had the really nice win against Temple, but Missouri's had a harder time playing at its level um, over the course of of the season. The other thing that I think is going to be a big factor in this game is is the big men between Kofi and Georgie at Illinois. Um, these guys are are legitimate forwards that Illinois wants to play through through its bigs and it's going to to do that against Jeremiah Tillman who let's be honest Dan he might have two three fouls by the time he gets off the bus um (laughs) Jeremiah has to be effective in this game for Missouri to stand a chance Mark Smith is going to have to hit some threes for Missouri to stand a chance I think if I had to pick it today I got to lean toward Illinois here um they're going to be you know still steamed from last year's Missouri win and uh, we just haven't seen Missouri outside of Temple put together its consistent best effort. It's got to have it's got to have you know a, a team that fires all on all cylinders to uh, to be able to kind of deal with the threats Illinois has on the perimeter, but especially in the paint. Illinois is eight and three. They have the confidence built up from that win against the fifth-ranked Michigan after a really heartbreaking loss to a Maryland team that was ranked third. They lost that game by a point. Um, they look like the better team so far. Um, it would be a huge, huge win for Missouri. It would kind of, I think, help them shake off some of those bad losses they've had this year, those missed opportunities. They've been better since that kind of what, what they believe to be the rock bottom against that Charleston uh, Southern team. But this would be a, a needle mover for Missouri and fans who are wondering, okay, can this team climb out of that and, and, and really become the, the group that we thought could be one that exceeds expectations entering the season? You know, I always love the atmosphere for Mizzou, Illinois. It's, it's one of the great atmospheres uh, of a sporting event that comes through town. I loved it, as I said before, even more when you had the characters like Norm and you had Lou Henson, 
Um, and somebody asked me, you know, can it ever get back to, to what it was? And I said, yeah, I, I do think it can, but you have to have good teams. And right now these are middle of the run teams. If it ever gets back to that point of top 25 or top 15, top 10 squaring off, then you got something. But it really comes down to having the talent on the floor and, and many times local kids that are doing it too. Yeah, and there's a sign that that could be moving in that direction. I mean, you have the Jeremiah Tillmans of East St. Louis, the Mark Smiths at, at uh, you know, who's from, who's from Edwardsville, and, and there is some natural kind of rivalry there. Of course, Mark Smith playing his freshman season at Illinois. I like both of these coaches a lot, Dan. You know how I feel about, about Conzo. And also Brad Underwood, who we don't talk, we don't talk as, as much about, but Underwood has recruited really well. Um, you look at, at, at Kofi, you look at Georgie, you look at um, you know some of the other guys that he's been able to get to Illinois. They're not exactly local players, but they're good players, and that's ultimately what's, what's most important. Um, I think this has a chance to be one of uh, you know, sneaky good games in college basketball again. These coaches are about the right things. They're invested. They don't, you know, they don't seem interested in going anywhere anytime soon, and they are battling it out for recruits in the St. Louis area. I think Conzo's mission, besides you know winning this game, is is to continue to, you know, really pry some of those top level recruits out of St. Louis. Um, Brett Underwood's, of course, trying to do the same thing, but he's got maybe a little bit more of a, a national reach at Illinois, and and he knows, and he'll be the first to tell you that. That Illinois should be a you know legitimate top twenty-five team every single year with with what it, the talent that it can get out of Chicago with the proud history that it has and he came there because he wants to build that back um, and he this would be you know this game's a big part of that and them getting to the tournament and making noise there is a big part of that so I like both of these coaches I think that that they have a respect for each other as rivals in this game and and I, I hope that both of them continue to get this moving in the right direction. But, you know, Brad Underwood is starting to show, you know, what his players are going to be able to do as they develop. You talk about Io DeSumo. I mean, they've got the pros on this Illinois team. Jeremiah Tillman wants to think that he's an NBA player, and, and, and he certainly has the skill set, the talent. They're going to need an NBA-type performance from him in this game to help kind of overcome some of the star power that Illinois can bring into uh, into this rivalry this year. they got four guys that are averaging more than 10 points a game between Trent, Trent Frazier and Io DeSumo on the perimeter. they got Kofi down low. This guy, Dan, is playing as well as, as Missouri fans wish that, that Jeremiah would, um, and he's a true – freshman he's first first year player he's averaging 15 and a half points a game along with 10 and a half rebounds i mean this is this dude's averaging 26 minutes a night um not saying not having any issues with with foul trouble this is he's also blocking a shot and a half a game he's he's having the impact so early in his career that missouri fans were wishing that tillman would be able to have in year three so it's going to be a reality check for for tillman in this game he can show up and, and dominate at times um, they're going to need a gem of a game from him to, to hang hang in there on Saturday. Signing day is come and gone uh, in college football, at least the initial one. Eli Drinkwitz, uh, first-year head coach at Mizzou, didn't have much time to get into the area, but he did get some local kids. He had 10 signees. Uh, give me your thoughts on what he was able to accomplish. Well, I think <laughs> he survived, right? <laughs> and that's that's really what you're you're hoping he, he did in this class. It's so hard, especially with the new – rules about signing day to come in as late as he did and try to salvage 
a class. You're trying to recruit in so many ways, Dan. You've got to recruit the guys who are already on the team. You're trying to get guys not to transfer. You're trying to get guys not to declare early and enter the NFL draft just because they're upset the coach they played for left. You're also trying to – the guys you want to keep – you want to keep that class together. So I think if you if you ask Eli Drinkwitz, hey, would you be would you want all of these players that are committed? He might if he had time to evaluate them and and pick and choose. He might not want every single one of them. But the main thing is you have to have a class. So your your priority becomes to re-recruit the guys who have already committed. He did a he did a good job of that with the quarterback here from St. Louis Cook and and there were some other guys. One of the running backs in the class had had decommitted at one point. And then jump back in, which is you know a sign of his ability to get guys to you know at least hear his pitch. Um, he held on to wide receiver Jay Macklin, obviously the the, the Jeremy Macklin protege. Everyone hopes from from Kirkwood. Uh, he get got a chance to really kind of limit the damage. So I don't know that we'll be able to judge Drinkwist by this recruiting class because ultimately it was about him keeping together the the guys who had committed. But his ability to do that without significant surprises. I think that speaks to his how he hit the ground running and and kind of the impression that he made on some of these guys who could have flipped elsewhere or could have you know said hey we're not going to sign today they got a good amount in the bag he didn't lose many of them and and that's a good sign for him. I am proud to add to the website as an exclusive sponsor of Ben Fred Fridays, the St. Louis-based criminal defense firm of Henderson Watercutty. As many of you know, I'm proud to be from St. Louis, and Mick Henderson and Steve Watercutty are from St. Louis. They call it home. Their firm is the premier criminal defense firm in Missouri and Illinois. So being from St. Louis, they want to help people from our region. And all you have to do is go to their website, stlcriminaldefense.com. That's stlcriminaldefense.com. Now, on that website, you will see the countless testimonials of people who they have helped over the many years that they have been doing work for people in the region. On the site, there are frequently asked questions, categories, and a wealth of information to help guide you through the process of figuring out how to make decisions to protect your rights. And it doesn't matter how big or small the case. They're known for their communication with their clients, and this is why. You can reach them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they have a proven track record of handling your criminal defense and traffic needs. The St. Louis-based criminal defense firm of Henderson Watercutty. The website again, and really, go to the website. It's incredibly easy to navigate. STLCriminalDefense.com. Check it out. That's STLCriminalDefense.com. Or call them anytime, day or night, 24 hours a day. The number, 314-645-4400. 314-645-4400. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. Let's switch gears and talk a little uh, baseball. K.K. Kim in the fold, a lefty picked up from the Korean baseball organization. Cardinals make that move. It's two years. It's $8 million bucks. It's not, uh, you know, $8 million is $8 million. But in baseball world, for two years, for a guy that might be in your rotation, uh, that's not really risky. What did you think of the move of bringing in Kim uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals? Sensible, um, and that's probably the best way to to phrase it. Um, he wasn't on my radar, and, and and I imagine he wasn't on a lot of people's because 
I, I won't pretend to be an expert on on the Korea baseball organization, but the Cardinals have had success in those Asian markets. You look at what Miles Michaelis did coming back, um, and this kind of reminds me of that to some degree. You know, Miles Michaelis' addition was was really kind of met with a who. And, and you saw how well he pitched, especially in that first year. Now we'll see if the extension that he got um, pans out over time. But even going back to Sung Won Oh, Michaelis was in Japan. Sung Won Oh was actually in the KBO where, where Kim was coming from. He was outstanding in that first year. I think there is an element of surprise. They don't know these guys, the opposing hitters, so that's an advantage right away. Um, as the Cardinals were kind of circling this pitching need at winter meetings, they talked a lot about how they were kind of checking in on options at all levels. And one of those levels was the swingman type who could start, or if Carlos Martinez is healthy and, and awesome as a starter, which is what the Cardinals ideally would want, can, could shift into that bullpen role. So his left-handedness, his that, that those two sliders that he throws, could make him a really nice um, piece in relief. But then I think this is you know, going to be a, pretty much a wide-open competition between Kim and Carlos Martinez for – a spot in the in the rotation, and I think that's certainly how Carlos Martinez has to interpret it. They have said, "Hey, we're comfortable with this guy starting." He pitched 190 innings last year in the KBO. He's been better since his Tommy John surgery in 2017. You know, he's a reliable. They view him as a reliable guy who can be that back end starter without any hesitation of saying that they they could be happy with that. So it's on Carlos Martinez now to prove that he's more valuable. And, and and more desired as a performing starter than he is as a guy who's you know who allows the Cardinals to say hey well, we want to start Kim and put Carlos at the as the answer at, at at the closer role so that's really Carlos's challenge is he's not he's not doesn't have to prove he can start he's got to prove he's better than the addition and more valuable there than he is as a really reliable closer he gives people heartaches and 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 heartburn in that role, but it, more times than not, he gets it done, and that's a really valuable thing. So now there's now there's some more pressure on him and some more security if he if he struggles with health, if he struggles with that role, if he struggles with that schedule, because because the Cardinals know now that they can put him in that in that closer role every day and have him show up every day prepared to pitch, and more times than not, he'll get it done. You know, it, it has a trickle down effect. Um, Ponce de Leon, Austin Gomber, Reyes, Alex Reyes. I, I'm curious, you know, what's going through their minds right now. I mean, it, it could amp you up and you say, look, I'm going to give you everything I got, and if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. But it does have a trickle-down effect even with players like that. Genesis Cabrera, Ryan Helsley, do they now go to the bullpen knowing that Kim could be there and, and maybe their shot at the rotation is through? You mentioned Martinez. So there's a trickle-down effect with all of this. It's not just one move I think you have to look at. It It, it has a trickle-down effect on other guys and maybe their roles in 2020. Absolutely, and it's probably frustrating news for guys like Austin Gomber and Daniel Ponce de Leon because they were hoping to prove they could be the, that guy. Um, but, you know, they, they can be valuable bullpen pieces. And, again, it's worth noting that something always, always happens at spring training. It seems like the rotation you have in mind – and on Christmas Day is not often the one that starts the season because pitchers get hurt and things happen. It's an unfortunate part of the game, but it is definitely a truth of the game. So now the Cardinals have a little more versatile insurance. And the other thing, too, I think the the, the idea of the Cardinals going out and getting a no-doubt, sure-thing, absolute starter bust was probably complicated by the fact that they had this depth um, led by Carlos Martinez, 
in their in their wings, kind of waiting to prove itself at spring. Because if I'm Dallas Keuchel or Gio Gonzalez or Wade Miley, then I'm wondering, okay, what's your plan? If I'm talking to the Cardinals as a free agent, and you can tell me that I'm a starter, but if I go and have a, a blip, then is Carlos Martinez taking my job? Carlos Martinez has been an all-star twice as a starter. So there, I can see how that was a little a little complicated and thorny for the Cardinals. Kim, who clearly wants to start, also knows that you know he can be used in the bullpen as well, and he's open to that. I think he's embracing the competition. So that probably complicated the Cardinals' selling to some degree when it came to free agents. Now, they could have played it differently. They could have said, Carlos, you're the closer, and we're going to go out and get a starter. And and that maybe in hindsight would have been the best move. But the unknown here, Dan, is we don't know what Carlos Martinez's best is anymore. Because if he can do this, and if he can be that guy in that rotation, then then we're not talking about Carlos Martinez being the the fifth best starter on this team. We're talking about him pushing Flaherty to be the best. I mean, that's what his arm can do. We've seen it. We haven't seen it in a while. And we got to see if he can stay healthy and and you know remain committed to the program that can have him be at his best. But I think the Cardinals, and I don't blame him for this, are still wanting to see, hey, maybe there's a chance this guy can figure this out now that he's supposedly healthy. What are your thoughts on the MLS and the $30 million in tax credits that essentially has been pulled away for them, which would be for the public infrastructure, not the stadium. The stadium is privately financed at at least $461 million by the Taylor Cavanaugh families and their group. Um, but all of a sudden, the $30 million in infrastructure is out. What, what, what did you think about that? I was surprised. Um, I think a lot of people who have followed this on a day-to-day basis are frustrated um, for good reason. This is, you know, it's not a political issue. It is not a left-right, conservative, liberal issue. It's as simple as the fact that the state of Missouri, the leaders of the state of Missouri, starting with Governor Mike Parson, were presented and willingly as supporters of this. And you can go back to the list that the ownership group gave the league when it showed its wide-ranging support for the project, which had Parsons' name on it. You can go back to the announcement of the, you know, the awarding of the franchise, which included a prominent seat at the press conference. You were there, Dan. Um, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, who has been an advocate for this and a vocal supporter of it, uh, and I think this has put him in a really bad spot because he's a St. Louis guy who cares about this project and wants it to happen. And all of a sudden, this board that has to approve these these tax these tax breaks from the state, which again, it's important to point this out: these this request and it did not come up overnight. These details were made known more than a year ago, and never once has the state or any uh, Governor Parson or anybody involved with this pushed back against this. Never once has there been a sign of, "Hey, this isn't going to work for us. If you try to ram, if you try to present this officially, we're going to turn it down. So let's come up with it." None of that, none of that had happened. This was supposed to be something that was going to get through, and now all of a sudden, you know, Governor Parson is singing a different tune. Now he's not quote-unquote, the one that turned it down, but it is the board that he puts people on that turned it down. If the governor wanted this to happen, it would have happened. And, and, and I go back to that, and I feel like he has to answer for this because whether you care about the details of why it's a good idea, whether you disagree that it's a good idea, throw all that out. The fact is that this was something that was agreed upon. It was supposed to happen, and, and Governor Parson left this group, which includes some pretty powerful folks uh, standing at the altar, and it's an embarrassing for them. So I don't know what happens from here, 
My understanding is that they cannot reverse this and grant the $30 million. There could, of course, be some sort of a, a lesser um, a dollar amount approved. Um, this could be revisited. But the, the part of the problem here, beyond the fact that it's the governor kind of going back against his word in his office, it's it's the timeline of the build. I mean, they need to start construction. They need to get this thing moving if there's going to be a functioning stadium in place for the first game in 2022. It's disappointing, you know, to see this being used as a, a headline or a, a lobbying piece as this no public money for sports crowd because it, it totally disregards the, the, you know, the details as to what's actually happening here. This plan presented by the ownership group is one of the most appealing and forward-thinking stadium development efforts that you're going to find in the country. This is a locally-led ownership group that is putting tons of private money on the line. The The property tax is going to be paid. This is not an abatement of property tax. The land is currently unused. It's blighted. They're trying to turn it into something good. The state money, which has been, again, this request has been known for about for more than a year, it is not to help with the stadium, as this board that turned it down said it was. That was misleading. It's to help with the the public infrastructure around the stadium, the roads that have to be changed around, the, the off-ramps, the exit ramps, those things. And it, so to say it's for the stadium is not true. The stadium proper is being completely privately funded, which is almost unheard of. So I was disappointed by how it was how it was handled, how it was labeled. Um, I've been trying to – all you can do is try to explain to people why – this is something that is misleading by the state, and I think you have to, we have to ask the state what changed, because it wasn't that long ago that state officials and representatives were talking about how great of a plan this was, how they couldn't wait to be a part of it, and very clearly something changed. So in politics, you're only as good as your word, and I think Governor Parson has to answer for why his changed overnight. Let's uh, also talk a little NHL. No Tarasenko, no problem. Blues are finding ways to win for the most part. This is turning into another uh, hell of a story, isn't it, with the St. Louis Blues? It's really wild, man. And and they were in the mix for the Taylor Hall trade, and and they didn't pull the trigger. And and you saw the what what Arizona had to give up to get him. And you go, okay, I can see why they didn't do it. And you know, as more guys are starting to come back from these injuries, obviously not Vladdy yet. Maybe in the in the postseason, you do kind of start to wonder. I think. Is it, is it worth risking the messing up the chemistry of the team to add offense? I mean, if they've got a guy like Jordan Cairo who can stun everybody and break the Internet with one of the most beautiful wraparound goals you're going to find, then maybe he can become a little bit more of that, that scoring threat. I, I do think Doug Armstrong is going to be in a really fascinating spot here as the trade deadline approaches because the Blues' biggest opponents – uh, most important opponents in the in in their division are are playing well in the conference are playing well so they can't let off the gas and there is going to be that constant pressure of like hey you know you're missing Vladdy you need to add scoring you're missing Vladdy scoring needs to come from somewhere but you also have to step back and look at the chemistry of the team of all these guys who are contributing who have who have been called up and thrust into different roles there is a vibe around the team right now that's really similar to the team at the last year's trade deadline when Doug Armstrong stood back and said, look, I'm not going to risk messing this up, and we'll find a way, and sure enough, that's exactly what they did all the way to the Stanley Cup. I think you have to give a huge tip of the cap to David Perron, who he has been up and down during his years multiple times with and without the Blues, and he has been electric, and he has really, I think, grabbed some of that 
some of that scoring pie chart that, that Vladdy left unclaimed when he got unfortunately hurt. He's been a stud, and everybody's doing a little bit more. I, we wondered earlier in the season, is the bottom going to drop out? But but I don't think the bottom's going to drop out on this team. Everybody has a role. They all have different chances to be the hero, and, and they're so deep, and they're so committed to Barubi's system that their ceiling might not be as high without Tarasenko. But if he does get back for the postseason and he's healthy and can actually play, then it's almost like they've been training, you know, all season long with a with a parachute behind them. So imagine what it could look like if he shows up and he's ready to roll, and and all these guys are sharpened and hardened by having to play without him. You can see how it could be almost like, you know, adding a a, a turbo booster to a team entering the postseason. And a final question: You were at the winter meetings. Ted Simmons goes in the Hall of Fame. I'm kind of taking an informal vote on this, but uh, should the club retire his number? What do, what do you think with that? Well, you'll have no objection from me there. Um, I probably won't be on the front of the the line for it, um, just because I, I think it's the Cardinals are, you know, they're so particular about how they do this. They do seem somewhat concerned that they need to have some numbers left open. Um, we'll see if Marcelo Zuna's back. That would complicate things for that this year. Although I don't think either of us really expect that to happen with the Marcel wearing number twenty-three. The my thing is, you know, and this is not a, a shot at all at, at Ted Simmons. I was so glad he got into the Hall of Fame. It's going to be awesome. I think he's going to crush the speech based off of what we heard a little bit of in uh, in San Diego. There, he had you know eight seasons away from the Cardinals. He had two, I think, All Star appearances away from the Cardinals. So, and he's a Cardinal. I I, I don't view him as as another team's player but but it's not that his whole career is his all of his great moments happen here in st louis so i could see the discussion um i don't know that i feel passionately about hit the retiring of his number enough to say hey they have to do this i did feel that way about him getting to the hall of fame but you know because some of his so much of his career came in milwaukee you know ended it in atlanta of course um i don't know that the cardinals have to retire 23 in Ted Simmons' name. Uh, would it be fine? Absolutely. Um, and, and clearly, you know, I think now there's a greater appreciation of what he did during those years with the Cardinals, but I don't know that it's a it's a must. Always great stuff, Ben. Happy holidays to you and, and your family, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up at the Bragging Rights game tomorrow. We'll catch up next Friday. You too, man. Yeah, good, uh, good holiday vibes to you and yours, and I'm sure I will see you here before too long. Sounds good. Thanks, Ben. I am proud to add to the website as an exclusive sponsor of Ben Fred Fridays, the St. Louis-based criminal defense firm of Henderson Watercutty. As many of you know, I'm proud to be from St. Louis, and Mick Henderson and Steve Watercutty are from St. Louis. They call it home. Their firm is the premier criminal defense firm in Missouri and Illinois. So being from St. Louis, they want to help people from our region. And all you have to do is go to their website, stlcriminaldefense.com. That's stlcriminaldefense.com. Now, on that website, you will see the countless testimonials of people who they have helped over the many years that they have been doing work for people in the region. On the site, there are frequently asked questions, categories, and a wealth of information to help guide you through the process of figuring out how to make decisions to protect your rights. And it doesn't matter how big or small the case. They're known for their communication with their clients. And this is why. You can reach them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they have a proven track record of handling your criminal defense 
and traffic needs. The St. Louis-based criminal defense firm of Henderson Watercutty. The website again, and really, go to the website. It's incredibly easy to navigate. STLcriminaldefense.com. Check it out. That's STLcriminaldefense.com. Or call them anytime, day or night, 24 hours a day. The number, 314-645-4400. 314-645-4400. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. 